As y'all know, uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, Harrison and I took a mission trip, and you, you may have seen the baptism video. You'll see a little bit more today. And uh, I picked up something. I, I think it came from the river that I was baptizing people in, but nevertheless, it has been a very long two weeks for me. Um, I experimented with a weight loss program that I, don't re- I do not recommend to anybody, okay? So someone says, hey, try the new Montezuma's Revenge weight loss. Just keep walking, okay? South Beach, do something else. Um, but nevertheless, we're back. And um, today, what, what I'm going to do is, is and, and the timing of this is incredible. Um, today, I am going to introduce you to a ministry uh, that I didn't really think was possible. I mean, I knew in theory it was, it was possible. I know that with God, all things are impossible. I know that our God and our Father is bigger than anything, anyone, any opposing force. But uh, Harrison and I spent two weeks um, doing direct ministry with, with Muslims. And when I say with Muslims, I mean in Lebanon, in Sunni and Shiite camps. Uh, Lebanon just experienced a huge terrorist attack last Thursday. When we were there, we could feel it about to happen. And yet the Lord allowed us the grace to just minister life and to share Jesus Christ. And um, we talked a tiny bit about that today, but we're going to share also about Ghana, um, which is just as Muslim as they come as well. And Y'all, I I cannot wait today to just recount the glories and the goodness of God. I made sure that we had pictures for some of this stuff because a little bit of what you'll see as as I walk through it, you would, if, as I tell you, you'd be like, oh, come on, I had to have pictures to prove it. So having said that, let me pray, Um, and I'm going to cover both sides of the Muslim issue because I just, I just think the timing is incredible this morning. So um, join me, please. Father, in Jesus' name. As Neil uh, so prayed so, so timely and so eloquently, um, Father, the people of Paris are on our hearts today. Um, Lord, the, the nation of Lebanon, where there were uh, terrorist strikes this week, Lord, they are on our hearts. Father, the, the threat in our world, as we worship here in this safe place today, the threat in our world is real. And the, the, the president of France called this, he called this an act of war, what happened. And Father, he's right, it is an act of war. And so, Father, as, as soldiers and heads of, of nations um, strategize, Lord, as, as some of them pray, um, as they look to, to respond, Father God, we ask you to bless those in uniform. Father, we ask you to bless those that make decisions. And God, we just pray that there would be a mighty victory that, just, that does not only result in a, a, a nation, a hostile nation or hostile enemies being squelched, but Father, we pray for a victory that results in the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we know that the solution, the ultimate solution, peace in our world is the Prince of Peace himself. And so God, we, we pray for every army Uh, around our world that will respond. And Father God, we also today thank you that in the midst of this, we are entering into what I believe, and I'll just pray this prophetically, I believe it's the church's finest hour. And so Father, may we hear today, may we be equipped, Lord, may we wake up, May, may, may unnecessary fears fall away, and God, may we just get energized and excited as we respond to the call to be the light of Christ everywhere in Jesus' name. Amen. When, uh, when we got invited to go on this trip, sometimes God kind of suckers you, 
And Call of Hope a year ago had asked me uh, to go to some Muslim part of the world and see what they did, and it was not time. Session knew it wasn't time. Um, we were going to go to a part of Africa. Ebola was rampant. We, we couldn't do it. So this year they came and called again, and you know, it, it gets kind of hard to be believable when you say no a second time, and people have so faithfully prayed for you to join them. So I said yes, and the, the idea behind this trip was that uh, Harrison and I would go, and we would be kind of we would go with our eyes open, our hearts open. We would be kind of an advanced scout team. We would just see what, what God is doing um, among Muslims around the world. I mean, I, I know there are always people reaching and doing something, something, something great, but how we partner in with all of that in light of things that are going on around the world and, you know, the, the stigma from rabbit, radical Muslims toward Christians. You know, I went a little skeptical, but, you know, wide open. Um, we were only really supposed to sightsee, but about two weeks before we left, the Lord put a message in my heart, and He said, Steve, I've got something for you. And so, I, I spent a couple of days just kind of downloading this message from the Lord and no opportunity to preach it. And just a couple of days before we left, uh, Ron Kiracosta got a hold of me and said, you know what, Steve, we, we, we need you to speak a little bit. And uh, I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you here. And so, we went into to Lebanon um, and the same Lebanon that was bombed on Thursday, I know Paris kind of took over all the, the headlines, but there were major bombings in Lebanon this week. They were ISIS-related. And we went straight into the Bakar Valley, and you can see Mount Hermon right there. ISIS is right behind it. We went into camps, um, and I mean, I, I mean, shotgun shells on the floor of the camp as you're walking, people dressed up, you know, all you get are eye slits and guys looking at you. Um, we, went, we went in with a man who is more like Jesus than anybody I have ever met before. And um, we, we were allowed by the grace of God to just minister life. And I want to share with you briefly the message that I shared with them. Um, so this will be a condensed version, but um, in a church full of former Shiite and Sunni Muslims, um, so we're talking Al-Qaeda, ISIS loyalties at least, Hezbollah, um, a couple of the guys I think Harrison shared, one was a former suicide bomber. Obviously, he didn't get to the end of that mission or we wouldn't have been able to meet him. But uh, we came in and we, I had a chance to preach in, in these settings. And we also preached in Ghana. And this is what the Lord gave me. Um, I shared with them that we all, we all have ideas of what God is like. Now, I'm not talking about do we believe there is a God. And hey, you know what? This is in the way of y'all. Let me lower this so I can see your beautiful faces. Carl, you're right over there. I didn't even know that. How are you? So, uh, um, but, but, but we're not talking about belief that there is a God, but we all have beliefs about what God is like. And when I say that, I'm talking about His character and His nature. And what we believe about God, who we really believe Him to be in His heart toward us, makes a gigantic difference in our lives. For example, if we believe, okay, if we believe that God is angry, that principally God is, He is the God of wrath. You know how we'll live our lives spiritually in response to that? We'll live it scared. We'll live it afraid. If we believe, on the other hand, that God doesn't care for us, you know, God's just too busy for us, we're going to feel worthless and we're going to feel abandoned as people. If we believe that God isn't here right now, welcome to a very lonely and, and, and just empty existence. Now, here is the really good news. 
God has not left us to figure out that question. He tells us in His Word exactly what He is like. And in in Ezekiel 36, He makes it incredibly clear. I mean, crystal clear. Like, you can't walk away and draw any other conclusion after you read Ezekiel 23 through 27. Now, warning, it starts out pretty ominous and it starts out scary. Here is how God opens that. He says, I will show you how holy my great name is. The name on which you have brought shame among the nations. That's how God starts this. Now, the first time I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, what's coming next? All right, if, if this is how God emotionally is going into this, boy, we're in trouble. It's destruction. I mean, it's, it's desolation. But in the next breath, God tells us exactly what we are in store for. Listen to it. Verse 24. I will gather you up, and I will bring you home again. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. All of your filth washed away. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your heart of stone, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. Verse 27, I will do all of this, and then after I do this, you'll be able to follow me. You'll be be able to respond to my word. You'll be able to live out my decrees, obey my regulations. I preached that message to a room full the first time of women clad, I mean, just covered from head to toe, just sharing in this message. I, I was able to share this message with young African teenagers in their church this beautiful message of what God will do. And the question I asked all of them the four times I preached this is, who saw that coming when God said he would show us what he's like? Who imagined that God could be this good? And of course, as they're hearing this, what's the contrast? The contrast is the God they know. The, con- the contrast is Allah, right? And his prophet Muhammad, which you know, if you, get, if you get a sliver of it, it might be all right. But man, you follow the whole story out. There is nothing like this in that religion. And so I preached it. I asked them the question, who saw that coming? So the one question you have as you hear all of this coming straight out of the Word of God is how? How will God do this? How will God make all of this a reality? How do we get gathered up? How do we get sprinkled clean? Where does this new heart and this new mind, and by the way, the concept of a new heart and a new mind in that culture is completely foreign because you can work your way up. Man, I mean, you can believe all you want to, but the inner reality of the love and the peace and the goodness of God is completely foreign. It's completely foreign. So I asked him, how is God going to do this? Well, the answer, you know it, right? I know it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one and only, the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father, the one who is God in the flesh. He'll come down, and he'll do what? He'll make everything new. And the thing there is you and I. He will come, and he will make everyone new who receives him as Lord and Savior. And that is regardless of how much sin we've done how much wickedness we've committed, regardless of what the oaths we took before today were, regardless of what we neglected to do, Jesus Christ will do this. And that's the story of the gospel. Jesus comes, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And 
In a sense, all Jesus does everywhere is Ezekiel 36. Everywhere he goes, everyone he meets is Ezekiel 36. Whether it's uh, Zacchaeus run up in a tree, and I preached about Zacchaeus. You know, whether it's the woman caught in adultery, whether, whether it's the religious who are coming to, to see that he is the Messiah, it doesn't matter. Jesus does this over and over again. Paralytics, demons. He comes and he fulfills Ezekiel 36 for everyone who receives him as Lord and, and Savior. Ezekiel 36, Revelation 21, making us new. This is who he is. This is what he does. New hearts, new minds, new life, new hope, new destiny. And then I ended with this, and I said, but folks, that means we have got to embrace a few truths for all of this to be real with us. Number one, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single person on the planet, no matter where you're born, no matter when you're born, we break God's laws, we hate, we harm, we are as guilty as Adam and Eve is. We are enemies of God. We have to start there. Salvation without that, ah, something's wrong here. The conviction of God has to hit us. This is who we are. This is what we've done. But Romans 5, 8, Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us. And that while we were sinners, what did he do? He sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die for us. And then Romans 10, 9, yes, this is the Roman road. If we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And then finally, just so we know it took when we did it, Romans 10, 13 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is how we get life and life of the full. This, this is how we move from, from darkness to light, from death to light. And I opened with this message. And I, I opened with this message to you because I want you to know what we were able to proclaim. And one of the highlights of the trip for me was when I preached this in a room full of uh, Sunni and Shiite Muslims, and, and many of them had already been saved, but they brought their friends. And so I said, okay, here we are at the end of this. It, does anybody want in on Jesus? And I went all the way through about the exclusivity of Jesus. Does anybody, anybody, anybody want to pray that prayer today? And 10 to 15 hands just shot up in that room. And, and it was amazing. And so today what I want to do is just tell you a little bit about the rest of this trip that we took with a, a, a group that, that they're an absolute enigma, okay, a, just a living irony. They're called Call of Hope, and you've seen a little bit about them, but the irony is that they are one of the oldest mission organizations in the world, and yet they are on the cutting edge of what God is doing in the world today in that they are reaching out to Muslims. And when I say Muslims, I'm talking about radicalized Muslims, okay? And when, when those radicalized Muslims are converted, and listen, they are more open than you think. These refugees that come in, we ran into camps and they'd say, man, I don't get this, you know? The, the, the Muslims that we left, they don't care for us. They don't look after us. They don't do anything to help us while we're here. You Christians come in here with your Jesus and you clothe us, you feed us. I'm telling you, they're open. Uh, it, it was incredible to see this. But they reach out to these folks, and, and, and there were, we met literally hundreds. When I say hundreds, about two to three hundred that had been saved. 
And as soon as they get saved, they go from being Muslim to Christian, which is awesome, but they go to being persecuted Christians right off the bat. And the, the, the couple I talked to in depth would say things like, yeah, you know, I guess we're persecuted, but I'm going to tell you one thing. What we got in Jesus is worth all the persecution that could come our way. So I, I want you to know it's happening. I want you to know that. Um, so we began in Lebanon, a country that, that has grown, a very tense place. It's grown a third. Recently, it has grown by a third with Syrian refugees. So imagine the United States tomorrow. Going, there's, there's a third more people here than they are, right? You can imagine the economic tensions on the nations. You can imagine everybody who's been well-established in Lebanon going, well, great. Look at the overcrowding. Look at the limitation of resources. I mean, it, it's not a pretty situation. But for these refugees coming in, so many of them, so many were at least a middle class or even upper class. They flee their countries and they leave everything behind. They come into Lebanon and they have absolutely nothing. And the other nations they go to. And they live in tent cities, tent cities with winter approaching. And the conditions are appalling. Absolutely, it, it would stun. I mean, one, one guy we met, 15 children living in a tent, and uh, the, the, the man got saved. I mean, he, he came to Christ, and this guy, I think he was, he was a former Hezbollah, uh, tied in with Hezbollah, came to Christ. And I'm like, oh my God, he's out there evangelizing everybody in the tent city. Here's a really interesting thing, though, okay? I'll tell you this since it's just us. He came to Christ, and he has two wives. So I asked the pastor, I said, oh my gosh, what do you do when a Muslim is converted and they've got multiple wives? And the pastor said, well, there's only one thing we can do. We have to kill one of the wives. <laughs> but, but he said, no, seriously, what, what you do in a situation like that is you don't throw one out. So what you do is you just say, you teach the guy to be the best husband he can be. It's a strange situation. But we teach these guys to love right, right where they're at. And uh, man, again, once more, my mind is blown. But see, here, here's the story we don't hear, okay? We, we, we hear a lot, you know, about the tent cities and all that. But the story we don't hear is that while many of these folks are, are they are truly radicalized in these camps, there, there are, is a more radical group out there than these Muslims coming into these countries. There are some Lebanese Christians and their loyalty and their love and their fire for Jesus Christ, they are more radically loyal to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, they're going into those cities. They are meeting basic needs. They are proclaiming Jesus Christ. And, and we were even in one of the churches. Folks, there were, there were 200, uh, 200 Syrians that had come to Christ. And we know because we worshiped with them. We know because I preached to them. We know because we heard their stories of salvation. We heard about the persecution. But Harrison also shared a lot of that with you. So I'm going to go on to the second leg of the trip. The second part of our trip was to Ghana. And all I can tell you about Ghana is that it was a night and day difference between Lebanon and Ghana. And, and the reason why Harrison had it up on the slide is that even though Ghana is a Muslim nation, they are nominally Muslim. So to them, it's like, well, I'm Muslim because I was just born a Muslim. You know, I, I'm Muslim because, you know, that's what my grandfather was, and that's what the culture is. But so many there, uh, th there's just such a lack of devotion. And so for us, that meant that we could minister freely. So we went, we went right in there, folks, and it, we let it rip from day one. Um, we joined a man. Uh, by the way, when I say Ghana, just so you know, the southern part of Ghana, the southern strip is heavily evangelized. 
because it's coastal, but the northern two-thirds, is, it is as unreached as it can be. Um, there are, uh, 10 years ago, there were maybe a handful of Christians in northern Ghana. Um, today, there, there are over 100 churches, maybe 200 at the most. Um, there's a literacy program that teaches the Bible. It teaches people to read through the Bible, which is pretty smart. Um, there are things like the GOAT Project, and all of that is great, but when you think about 100 to maybe 200 churches in the whole northern half of a nation, that it, it takes, when you start in the north, it's about a 14-hour drive, you are still talking about a highly unreached group of people. And so Harrison and I went, and along with Ron Kirikasta, and we spent um, six days with a, with a man named Abukari. And Abakari is largely responsible for what's happened in the last uh, 10 years. And he just literally drove us around for 10 days. And so what we did was we started at this three-acre compound that you see here. And, and this building in the back is a school. Now, folks, well, it's not a school. It's a compound that houses kids that are going to school. This thing is as rustic as anything you, you can imagine. Like this, if you could see the two tanks in the back, that's all their drinking water that they collect from rain, all right? Um, you're talking about dorm rooms, uh, rooms that are, uh, you know, in college, what do you do? Put two kids in a dorm room. You got nine, 10 kids in a dorm room. Um, but these kids come from local villages, and Abakari's staff, what they do is they feed them, um, they clothe them, they put them to work in a lumber yard and a carpentry shop. Uh, these kids become part of a, of a vibrant church that we had the chance to minister in. And listen, when we talk about vibrant church, I know, you know, we think like, man, we get all charismatic in here. You guys are gonna see a video in a minute. I mean, I'm you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, we need to wake up. I mean, these kids are, you know, I mean, they're all over the place. It was unbelievable. People get up to give a testimony. It, it, I just loved it. Like someone will get up to get, it's testimony time. So I'm thinking, okay, America, you know, get up and share your story. Every single one of them has to sing a song before they share their testimony, you know? It's just so wholehearted. But these kids come in and they work, which contributes to, to, to the compound. They join this vibrant church and then together they reach out to the whole town of Tomley with the, the good news of Jesus Christ. All of that, and they get a university degree, which is almost impossible to pull off in Ghana. So we started there. And, um, and, and, and just so you know, the other half of this, Abakari does all of this with a library that has about 25 books in it, okay? And just so you know, in northern Ghana, it's one textbook for every five students. And of those five students, many of these guys can't even read. So, I mean, the, the, but, but they, they have this library, um, a few dorm-sized rooms. Um, this picture on the bottom right is actually their kitchen. This, all the meals, so you're talking like 25, 30 people, uh, it all comes from this outdoor fire pit. And so for me, I'm here with Harrison. It's like I'm rejoicing on one hand. I'm like, man, thank God. Look at what you're doing. You're sending these kids to college. You're spreading the gospel. But I'm also heartbroken. And so I asked Abakari, I said, Abakari, do, do you have anyone helping you with this? You know, do you have any outside partners? Which is a perfect opportunity for him to just lay on the guilt trip or whatever. And he goes, you know, he, he said, we don't. We don't at all. And he said, we'd love help. But here's the thing, God hasn't let us down yet. And, you know, I mean, that, that was kind of the end of the discussion. 
Um, from there, we attended their church, and, and you'll see that in a minute, just how incredible that was. And we went out into the villages for some visitation, okay? Now, uh, visitation in the villages um, was pretty unique. We would literally drive up in a Range Rover, and everybody's sitting underneath a tree hanging out, and we just pull up. And, and in so many of these villages, there's a little tiny startup church surrounded by a bunch of mosques. And we, we would pray for folks. We would encourage folks. We'd sit down with the leadership of a church, and, and we'd just pour into them a little bit. And, and in one of the first ones we went to, um, we, we pulled into this village, and there were 25 converts who were waiting for baptism. And they didn't have a pastor. And so they were like, you know, Abakari, we need to be baptized today. And um, so here they are. They're ready to be uh, uh, baptized. But the thing about, about baptism in Ghana is you don't accept Christ and then get baptized five minutes later. When you accept Jesus Christ, you go into discipleship for about a year to learn the basics of the faith. I mean, I mean, I mean they, they pour into you. They make sure, look, you're going to live this life. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We're not joining the club, you know. You're not going to do the, the, you know, the, the Muslim Christian shuffle here. You're all in or you're all out. So these guys have been discipled for a year. They're waiting for baptism. And so we rounded them up, right? We get all these, all these people together. And as we're talking to them, the pastor stops and he goes, oh my gosh, we've got to stop. We have a problem. And right then I saw five of the people uh, that are waiting for baptism, and they hung their head, and I went, oh my gosh, what happened here? And he said, well, I just discovered, uh, kind of on our final questions before baptism, five of these guys still have idols in their home, and they pray to them, they worship them, and so I told them they can't get baptized until they renounce their idols. And so, the, so he translates it back to them. Next thing you know, all five of them just run off, and I'm like, well, I guess that's the end of that. They come back two minutes later with all these idols, and by the way, these are some sad-looking idols like rocks and, and shavings of this and that. And, and they literally come up and they speak out what each one of their idols are. And we started a little fire and they threw the idol into the fire. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. And, and they just said in, in Guyanese, uh, in Jesus' name, we renounce these idols. And then we prayed a prayer of deliverance for these guys. And it was incredible because, you know, there are times when you pray and you're like, you know, I know that I said the right words. I know the heart was there, but I hope it took, this prayer took. These guys looked up and, I mean, just the joy and the freedom on their faces. And then we went down and we had the best baptism in the world, okay? I mean, it was fantastic. And just so you know, I don't know if, if, if this has been mentioned yet by anybody, but the river that we baptized these people in had crocodiles in it. And so... We literally had a couple of guys standing up watching for crocodiles as we're baptizing these guys. But y'all, it, it was just one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And I want you to know from the Ghana video, everybody you saw in that video is a former Muslim. So all of the, I mean, these are all Christians now that, the, I mean, the, they have come over from Islam into Christ. And uh, so we went from there into the village for the goat project where we, we all gave money for goats. And waiting for us in this village are, uh, are 30 children and their families and their village members. And so we, we, we came up with these goats, and that was only half of the ones we delivered. And so we gave these goats to these children. And for me, I was like, you know, the reaction doesn't quite match what I'm seeing here. I mean, the, I mean it's like oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing that happens. I mean, the, the adults are lighting up and everybody's just amazed. And, and so what we shared at the end of it, we said, look, there's a reason why we're doing this. 
And the reason we're doing this is because Jesus Christ is Lord, and he loves you, and he sent us here. We, we are here on behalf of 600 other people in a whole different part of the world that you don't even know, and we are just showing you the love of Jesus Christ by doing this. And then we, we prayed for these children. And so we walk away, and afterwards, I asked Abakari, I just said, you know, let me talk to you about follow-up here. You know, I mean, what happens after a goat project? Have we just given goats, and that's the end of it? And he said, Steve, what we do here is when we go in with something like this or like a medical team, you are the first wave. Next week, an evangelist will be here. He'll come and he'll be here for six months, and all he will do is he will take what your act of love, and he is going to proclaim the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And after six months, a pastor moves in with his family, and they set up a church here. So this one little thing that you think you do by, I gave $50 for a goat, you are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ghana. Yeah. And, and, and then I asked him, I said, well, well Abakari, though, what kind of, okay, what kind of a practical difference does one goat make in a kid's life? And he goes, I'm so glad you asked. I've been waiting for you to ask. And he said, last week, uh, he said, we did this 10 years ago for the first time with a child. So we gave a goat to a child because that's all we could afford at the time. He said, three weeks ago, that child started university. And he found me out and he said, Abukari, thank you for the goat. You gave me this goat 10 years ago. This goat, obviously a female, um, had between one to three goats every year for 10 years, and those goats had goats. So this, this kid had a herd of hundreds. And he said, three weeks ago I, I went, I sold half of the herd, and I just paid for four years of my college education. Now, on top of that, his whole family became Christians, and they're all in church. I want you to know God is reaching the unreachable. Now, the next part of the, of, of the story is fantastic, okay? It's hard to believe, so I have pictures to prove it. Um, a after that, we had an invitation to go meet somebody, and uh, so we pull up to a village, and it has the largest hut I have ever seen, all right? I, this, was, this was like a Walmart hut, right? This thing is gigantic. So we pull up to this hut, and, and as we're coming up, Abukari says, hey, we got an invitation, so we had to come see somebody. And um, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Well, who are we going to go see? And he said, We're act we've actually been invited by the king of Yindi um, to have an audience with him. And so I'm like, the king of Yindi, I've never heard of the king of Yindi. Northern Ghana actually has a king. Now, he's, he's localized in the, in the very top. His influence goes all the way through Ghana. So he invited us to come and meet him. So we go into this waiting room, okay? We don't have a picture of the waiting room. I don't know why we didn't get one. So we go and we sit on this bench and, and it's all tiled out, and the king's thoroughbred racehorse is in the waiting room, and he's eating grass, and I'm like, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, so me and Ron Kierkost and Harrison are sitting there, and there's a racehorse, and everything's decked out and tiled out, and, uh, and then we're ushered into the king's chamber, and so we see the king, and he is seated on a throne of pillows that are like this high, so we walk in, and he, uh, this king is cool, right? He's like decked out, laying on his pillows. He, he's got an exercise chair beside his throne, which I think is hilarious. And, so, and, he, and he's got a room full of attendants. None of them are allowed to look at him, so they're all looking down. He, he asks us to look at him, and he gives us greetings, and when he does, all of, it, all of his attendants 
Anytime he speaks, they, they signify their approval and they crack a knuckle sideways. So I'm just like, I can't take this. You know, it's like, I'm just thinking, oh, golly, where's rheumatoid arthritis medicine? Or, you know, it's so he gives us greetings and then, then they ask me to give him greetings back. So I give him greetings back. I pray the translator did a better job than I did. And then the king asked me if I will pray for him. And so they translated and I prayed for him and I said, you know, um, God, I'm representing, I just come representing my people and meaning all of you. Okay. So if you didn't know it, you're my people, right? So Lord, I'm representing all my people and, and we recognize that you put kings and you put authorities in place and we ask you to bless this man. We ask you to give him a heart for his people, give him love for his people, give him wisdom. And so I finished and, um, you know, he's like, thank you, thank you. He gave us a, a royal kind of a nut, and we couldn't eat it, and we thanked him and kind of hid it. And, and then after that, he said this through translator. He's, he said, um, and I, I want to read it because I, I want to make sure I got it right. He, uh, he said, I would like to ask you, he said, I, I invite you to bring your people to help my people. You can help us medically. You can help us materially. You can even help us spiritually. I will give you free access if you will come and help us. And it just blew my mind because I'm like, oh my gosh, who cares if we ever heard of this dude or not? I mean, this is like divine favor. I mean, how many of you have been asked by a king before to just bring your people? But it was just this open door. <laughs> We're coming, king, but... Uh, and, and seriously, this guy really does ha have pull. Like, for example, one of the things that happened was there was a court case in Ghana while, uh, before we were there. And so the, these two guys go to court to settle a land dispute. And so the court says, you know what? Until the king says what he wants to do, we're not talking to you. They have to go to the king and get it resolved, and then they go back to court. So this is a man that makes things happen in Ghana, and, and he opened uh, his, his doors to us. And it was just a moment of incredible favor. Um, our trip kind of ended after that with, with perhaps the most touching moment of all. Um, we went to an orphanage, and as a papa with six kids, we were taken to this, this orphanage. There are 54 children. Um, it, it is run by a man and his sister. They have absolutely nothing to help these kids with. Um, if you thought Abakari's digs were simple in the beginning, I mean, these are a, a, a few homes uh, and a few little houses here and there, open pit, but these are little tiny children. Their parents have abandoned them in the bush. Um, maybe we're addicted to something. We're not able to care to their children. And this very godly man and his sister, they just care for these kids as, as best they can. Um, conditions are terrible. And I asked him, I said, hey, does anybody ever come and adopt your children? He said, Steve, we're in northern Ghana. Nobody knows we're here. We can't even afford to list these kids. All we do is our very best to love them. We introduce them to Jesus Christ. We kind of keep them together as one big family. And somehow, by the grace of God, we turn them out into the world, and they become part of the solution to northern Ghana. That's what we do. And again, I, I rejoiced, and uh, yeah, I was heartbroken at the same time. Um, I feel like Willy Wonka, you know, and, uh, uh, it, you know, we have so much time and so little to do, never mind reverses, I could talk about this all day long, but I, I want to kind of end with just a couple of things, because um, that, that's the trip in a nutshell, 
But I want you guys to be aware of one final conversation with Abakari. Um, I asked him, I said, Abakari, how can you do all of this? How in the world can you do goat projects, have all these people baptized, raised up pastors, employ evangelism? How can you do the, the literacy program, just help with this orphanage? How do you do this with nothing? And he said, Steve, God is good. And you just got to be settled on that. God is good. We have so little. We pray for more. We have a dilemma. This work is exploding. We have absolutely no partners with us in this. But he said, simply, what we're doing is we're just praying. We're just praying all the way in Ghana, several of us in a team. We're just praying that God will start with one church. Just raise up one church who's crazy enough to help adopt the whole, half, the whole top half of an African country that is white with harvest, has people that are hungry for the gospel, who will dare to believe that God can not just take, the, not just that we can take their money and do something with it, but they will really join with us in ministry. We are praying for that. He said the financial needs, they're obvious, but what really matters most is number one, we need prayer warriors interceding for Ghana. Man, if we had 600 people that were just praying for the work of the gospel here, man, if we had that. And then, then as, as the fire took hold in that church, if, if we could have worship leaders sent over to train and teach us how to worship, man, if, if, if we could borrow Christian women and Christian men who have been sitting in a congregation going, Lord, I want to do more, to just come and impart to folks who have no frame of reference, how do you be a godly parent? How do you raise up children? And, you know, if, if we could have a few business people come over and talk to us about microfinance, if, if, if we could borrow your Christian teenagers and hold a big Christian, uh, just a retreat for all of these kids who are hungry for the gospel, oh man, it would change our world. If, if, if you had a few medical people and you could just come over and do a couple of clinics here and there, builders who would come and help, just go back Tell our story to your people. Ask your church to just pray. The fields are white with harvest. The, 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 the needs are endless. And we don't want to hook anybody into this. We want the ones that God is raising up to come on over here and do what God has called them to do. And so in nothing else, I believe we need to pray that prayer as a church. I think we need to ask the question. Because that's the only king who's ever opened his borders to me before. And I think the Lord is at least calling us to pray. Listen, I want you to know this. We, we, we in a church, we've been through a time of transition and we're moving into, um, I mean, y'all know this well, but where we're really reorganizing the whole church around the great commission of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this. The fields are white with harvest. The church of Jesus Christ in this nation has spent enough time in the pew with pew time being the dominant feature. The fields are white with harvest everywhere. And my prayer for us as a church is that we will not just fund international missions, but that we will become an international mission ourselves. Um, I pray that we don't just send missionaries, which is so important, but that, that we ourselves will take a role. Um, we, and I believe really to be balanced as a church, Jesus said it best, um, to, that we will go out in Judea, uh, Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the, ends of the earth, Balanced mission in a church is local, it is regional, it is national, and it is international. We've got folks like Henry Justice um, reaching out to the homeless in our community. If you did not know that, 
Let's join in, folks. We, we've got folks like Buffy and Lori who have taken the lead in reaching out, for example, to the Geneva Trailer Park. They're getting ready to do a huge outreach there with turkey baskets. I did it last year. My family did it. Yeah, it's a little scary. By the end of the day, it was one of the most awesome things we did all year long. We, we are heating up in local missions. We are stepping into local missions. Please join us. Let this be an us thing. Regionally, nationally, we're going to make trips available, Okay. We're going to do that. But y'all, that's pretty normal stuff. I really believe in the age to come, or in the days to come, not the age because that sounds too long from now, but, but in the days to come, we are also going to take the safety off the gun when it comes to international missions. And I'm going to tell you why. I think this week is a perfect example of why. I prayed this earlier. With what happened in Paris and Lebanon this week, the French prime minister made, uh, or, uh, pr uh, president, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of where my mom's from, England. The, the, the French president, he, he made a great statement. He made a very true statement. What happened a couple of days ago, it is an act of war, okay? It needs to, it needs to be fought with soldiers, thank God for you guys, and armies. It's important. I mean, this is a victory that matters. The war on terror has got to be fought by men who take up arms. It's just a part of it. It is. But the church of Jesus Christ can never forget that the ultimate solution in our world is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And listen, I know this isn't very American, but the last time I checked the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, it wasn't too safe back then, right? It wasn't, there weren't too many guarantees. But I think our future is pretty much secure. I want the church of Jesus Christ to get into the game. We need to get into the game. And I will tell you this, Muslims, both radical and nominal, spiritually speaking, they are ours for the taking if we believe in Jesus' name if we believe in Jesus' name. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to lay one on you, all right? I'm laying it on me. Like to hear it? Here it comes. Father, in Jesus' name. Father, we rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave His life. Lord, You have convicted me so many times. Just, I mean, Lord, for my own, my own ignorance and foolishness and disobedience as a church leader, Lord, by your Spirit, you have asked me so many times and my brothers that serve with me, why do you continue to set the bar so low in the church of Jesus Christ? I have given you resources. I have given you decades, just decades of time to prepare. I've raised you up in safety and in strength. I've crowned you with goodness. And I've prepared you for this time. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, may the, may the church of Jesus Christ, may Kempsville Presbyterian, may we hear the call of, uh, of God, the call of Jesus Christ, may we hear the Great Commission as we look out our door across the street to our neighbor. Lord, as, as we look across our state, as we look across our nation, as we look across our world, may we respond to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that there is a place for us in world missions as a people, in local and in region. So God, in Jesus' name, would you restore the ministry that you gave us? And God, is, just as I pray that, Lord, I want to thank you for folks who are here with us right now. I think of Mark and Dindy Wilson. 
who are with us today from Turkey, and we'll share in just a little bit, who are right there on the front lines every day. God, I rejoice in their faithfulness. And Lord, I, I, just, I, I just see them in my mind's eye praying prayers. Oh God, just raise up more workers. So Father, as you bless their faithfulness, I pray that part of that blessing would be a church that rises up. Lord, I pray for Buffy. Lord, I thank you for, for the faithfulness of Dana. I, Lord, I think of our World Outreach Committee. Lord, I ask you to crown them with, with just grace and wisdom and strategy for us as a church. But Lord God, I pray for every single person in this place that, Lord, you would guide us, you would inspire us, you would lead us, Lord, you would just embolden us. I think of that word encourage. Lord, put courage back in us. And I thank you, Lord, that we have the most beautiful message of all time. God, you have given us the treasure of all the ages to proclaim. So God, shake loose anything that turns it into a no or a well, just all of that, Lord God. And get us ready to be salt and light in Jesus' name for the glory of God, the goodness of Hampton Roads, the redemption of a nation. Lord God, the restoration of a world. I thank you, Lord God, that your desire is that all, all would come to salvation. And I thank you that we're the ones that you've given that task to. Thank you for it, God. As we get ready for Thanksgiving in about 10, 10 days or so, as we head into Advent and we celebrate Jesus, Lord God, we thank you that you have called us into, that you've called us to share with you. Lord God, that we are your, not only your children, but your ambassadors. We love you. We praise you. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. You're beautiful. Have a great day.